chapter 5 almost at the same time that i started to operate with my new private new principles in mind i signed up to make a two year tour of the world with my dancing act i immediately immediately i was faced with many problems how for instance would i continue to trade while i was at the other side of the world and instantly and very vividly there came before my mind the occasion when my broker missed me on the telephone if this could happen in new york how was i to overcome such a difficulty when i was thousands of miles away i discussed the matter with him and we decided that we could remain in touch with each other through cables we also decided upon one tool this was bartons a weekly financial publication which we arranged to have air mailed to me as soon as it was published this would show me any stocks which might be moving up at the same time a daily telegram would quote the stocks i owned even in such remote places as kashmir and nepal where i performed during the tour the daily telegram duly arrived it contained the wall street closing prices of my stocks to save time and money i had instituted a special code with my broker in new york my cables consisted only of a string of a, of letters denoting the stocks each followed by a series of apparently meaningless numbers they looked something like this b32 l57 u89 a120 f132 it only took me a few days to discover that these quotations were insufficient for me to properly follow the movements of my stocks i was unable to construct my boxes without knowing the upper and lower limits of their moves i called new york and asked my broker to add to closing price the full details of the stock's daily price fluctuations this consisted of the highest and lowest price of the stock for that day now my telegram started to look, look like this b32 bracket 32 34-32 l57 bracket 58-57 u89 bracket 91-89 a120 bracket 121-120 f132 bracket 134-132 i did not ask for volume quotes as i feared that too many figures might uh, might overcrowd my cables my selections were were high volume stocks anyway and i thought that if the volume contracted i would notice it in barons few days later as my broker and i both knew which stock we were quoting we only used the first letter of the name of each stock i owned but because these were not the normal stock market abbreviations which was no known all over the world these constant mysterious letter figure cables upset and bothered post office employees almost everywhere before they handed my first cables to me i had to given them a detailed explanation of what they contained 
they obviously thought i must be a secret agent i was constantly confronted with this suspicion especially in the far east it was perhaps worst in japan the telegram officials there were more suspicious than anywhere else as the japanese bureaucrats do not appear to have completely shed their pre-war spy mania whenever i went to a new town such as koyoto nagoya or okasa the cable officials would look at me with the gravest doubts i had always to go into long explanations as i did not speak japanese this was often a complicated operation oddly enough however they seemed quite happy as soon as i signed a paper telling him exactly what my cables contain it might not have been the truth but that did not seem to have occurred to them on the other hand without these paper bearing my signature they would refuse to send my cables it took me a long time to change their minds i spent 6 months in japan before i finally became a well known figure in the cable offices of all most of the major cities they even began cheerfully to accept my cables without a special signature the word had gone around among the japanese that i was a mad but apparently harmless european who kept sending and receiving telegrams containing financial gibberish during my tour of the world my journey ranging from hong kong to istanbul rangoon manila singapore stockholm formosa calcutta japan and many other places naturally i often rained ran into other difficulties trying to receive or send my cables one major problem was that while i was traveling i had to be careful that cables did not miss me so when i was on the other uh, when i was on the move they were duplicated and even triplicated it was quite common for the same cable to leave wall street address pan am flight to hong kong airport repeated tokyo airport repeated nakatasu hotel tokyo this arrangement enable me if i missed it in flight to pick it up uh, immediately after landing my difficulties in operating in wall street from ventiana in lewis for instance were tremendous the first of them was that there was no telephone system there at all the only local telephone was between the american military mission and the american embassy which of course was of no use to me if i wanted to send or collect any message i had to take a rickshaw to the post office which was opened just 8 hour a day and always closed bank on the minute since there was a difference of 12 hour between local and new york time the post office was shut from opening to closing time on wall street i was under constant tension worrying whether important news from the stock market was being held up one day when i went to the post office i found a telegram awaiting me which had been forwarded from sangon to hong kong and then sent to from hong kong to vietnam i opened it apprehensively thinking that the delay certainly must spell disaster but luckily it contained no information 
I felt compelled to act upon. But Leos was only one of the places why, where I ran into difficulty. In Kathmandu, a cap the capital of Nepal, in the Himalayas, there was no telegram service at all. The only telegram office was in the Indian embassy and all communication by cable from the outside world came through there. The embassy official obviously considered it beneath their dignity to bother about private cables addressed to ordinary people. When a telegram arrived for me, they would not deliver it and I had to constantly telephone the embassy to see if there were any messages. Sometime I had to tell, uh, I had to call 10 times before they told me to come and collect my cables. Moreover, they were handwritten and of, often illegible. <coughs> the basic mechanism of my operation was this. Behran's publication in Boston on Monday usually, usually reached me if I was in Australia or India or any part of the world not too remote by Thursday. This of course meant that I was four days behind the Wall Street movements. However, when I was in Barron's stock that behaved according to my theory, I sent a telegram to my broker asking him to bring me up to date on the stock movements from Monday to Thursday for example. Cable this week's range and closing Chrysler. If the stock, for instance, was in my opinion behaving well in the 60 oblique 65 box, I would wait to see if the 4-day quotation from New York still showed this. If the quotations cable to me show, showed it was still in this box, I decided to watch it. I would then ask my broker to quote it daily so I could see if it was pressing toward a higher box. If I was satisfied with what I saw, I cabled to New York on my on stop buy order, which my broker was instructed to consider good till cancelled unless otherwise specified. This was always coupled with an automatic stop loss order in case the stock dropped after I bought it. A typical cable looked like this. Buy 22200 Kessler 67 on stop 65 stop loss. If on the other hand my broker's cable showed me that moved of the 60 oblique 65 box, since I had noticed it in Barron's, I forgot about it. It was too late for me to act, I had to wait for another opportunity. Naturally, I was forced to narrow down my operations to a few stocks. The reason was purely financial. If I spend more than 15 to 12 to 15 a day on cables requesting stock quotations, the operation would become uneconomic unless I made enormous profits. In the beginning, I was terribly afraid. Not that being in New York had helped me in the past, but to the cable to communicate with Wall Street by telephone had given me a false feeling of security. This I missed for a while. It was only later, 
as I gradually gained experience in trading through cables that I came to see the advantages of it. No phone calls, no confusion, no contradictory rumors. These factors combined gave me a much more detached view. As I only handled 5 to 8 stocks at a time, I automatically separated them from the confusion. confusing. Jungle-like movement of the hundred of stocks which surrounded them, I was influenced by nothing but a price of my stocks. I could not hear what people said, but I could see what they did. It was like a poker game in which I could not hear the betting, but I could see all the cards. I did not know it at the time, but later I became more experienced in the market. I realized how invaluable this was to me. Of course, the poker player would try to mislead me with words, and they would not show me their cards. But if I did not listen to their words and constantly watch their cards, I could guess what they were doing. At first, I tried to practice on paper without investing any money, but I soon discovered that working on paper was quite different from actual investing. It was playing cards without any dollar in the pot. It had as much severe and excitement as bridge at an old lady's home. Everything seemed very easy on paper with no money at stake. But as soon as I had 10,000 invested in a stock, the picture became quite different. With no money involved, I could easily control control my feelings, but as soon as I put dollars into a stock, my emotions came floating quickly to the surface. As my cables continued to arrive day after day, I slowly became accustomed to this new type of operation and started to feel more and more confident. Only one particular fact bothered me. Sometimes some of my stocks made inexplicable moves which had no relation to their previous behavior. This baffled me and it was while I was looking for an explanation that I made a momentous discovery. I realized I was on my own. I was certain I could learn nothing more from books. No one could guide me. I was completely alone with my daily telegrams and my weekly issue of buttons. They were my only contact with Wall Street. Many thousands of miles away, if I wanted an explanation, I could only turn on them. So I plunged avidly into barrels. I turned its pages until I turned to shred before I finally discovered this. This the inexplicable moves in my stocks usually co coincided with some violent, violent move in the general market. As I only received the quotes of my own stocks, I was completely disregarding the possible influence of the general market on them. This was no better than trying to direct a battle by only looking at one section of the battlefield. This was a very important discovery for me and I immediately acted on it. I asked my broker to add to the end of my cables the closing price of the Dow Jones industrial average. This I thought would give me a clear enough picture of how the general market behaved. When I received the first cable with this added information, I was like a child with a new toy.
I thought I had discovered a completely new formula. As I tried to relate the Dow Jones Industrial Average to the movement of my own stocks, I reasoned that if I, if the average was going up, so would my stocks. Soon after, I found out this that this was not true. To try to fit the market into a rigid pattern was a mistake. It seemed quite impossible to do it. Each stock behaved differently. There was no such thing as a mechanical pattern. I was wrong many times before I banished the average to its proper place. It was some time before I discovered that the Dow Jones company publishes an average. It simply mirrors the day-to-day behavior of 30 selected stocks. Other stocks are influenced by it but do not mechanically follow its pattern. I also begin to appreciate that the Dow Jones company is not a fortune-telling organization. It does not attempt to tell you that when individual stock will rise or fall. Gradually, I began to understand that I could not apply mechanical standard to the relationship between the average and individual stock. Judging this relationship was much more like an art. In some way, it was like painting. An artist put colors on a canvas obeying certain principles, but it would be impossible for him to explain how it how he does it. In the same way, I found that the relationship between the average and the individual stock were confined within certain principle, but they could not measure exactly. From then on, I made up my mind to keep watching the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but only in order to determine whether I was in a strong or a weak market. This did I did because I realized that the general market cycle influences almost every stock. The main cycle like a bull or bear market usually creep into the majority of them. Now that I was armed with a finishing touch to my theory, I felt much stronger. I felt as though I was beginning to touch some of the light switches which would illuminate the room. I discovered I could form an opinion to the stock on a stock from the telegrams in front of me. They became like x-rays to me, to the uninitiated, an x-ray picture is meaningless. But to a physician, it often contains all the information he wants to know. He relates its findings to the nature and duration of the illness, the age of the patient, etc. and only then does he draw his conclusions. Looking at my telegrams, I did something similar. I compared the price of my stock first with each other, then with the Dow Jones average, and after I waited their trading range. I evaluate whether I should buy, sell, or hold. I did this automatically without deeper analysis. I could not fully explain this to myself until I realized that I was now reading and no longer spelling out the alphabet. I was doing with what an educated adult does. I could observe the printed pages at a glance and draw rapid conclusion from it, instead of painfully putting the letter together like a child. Simultaneously, I tried to train my emotions. I worked in the, it this way. Whenever I bought a stock, I wrote down my reason for doing so. I did the same 
when I sold it. Whenever whenever a trade ended with the loss, I wrote down the reason I thought caused it. Then I tried not to repeat the same mistake. This is how one of my cable looked like. These cause of error tables help me immeasurably. As I drew them up one after the other, I was learning something from each trading. I started to see that stock have characters just like people. This is not so illogical because they faithfully reflect the character of the people who buy and sell them. Like human beings, stocks behave differently. Some of them are calm, slow, conservative, others are jumpy, nervous and tense. Some of them I found easy to predict. They were consistent in their move, logical in their behavior. They were like dependable friends. And some of them I could not handle. Each time I bought them, they did me an injury. There was something almost human in their behavior. They did not seem to want me. They reminded me of a man to whom you tried to be friendly but who thinks you have insulted him and so he slaps you. I began to take the view that if these stocks slapped me twice, I would refuse to touch any uh, touch them anymore. I would just shake off the blow and go away to buy something I could handle better. This does not mean of course that other people with a different temperament from mine were not able to get on well with them. Just as people get along with one set of people better than they do with others. The experience I gained through my cause of error tables became one of the most important of all my qualifications. I now realized I could never have learned it from books. I began to say, see that it is like driving a car. The driver can be taught how to use the accelerator, the steering wheel and the brakes, but he still have to develop his own feeling for driving. No one can tell him how to judge whether he is too close to the car in front of him or when he could he should slow down. This he can only learn through experience. As I flew around the world and operated in Wall Street by cables, I slowly came to see that though I was becoming a diagnosian, I could not be a prophet. When I examined a stock and found it strong, all I could say was it is healthy now today at this hour. I could not, get, not guarantee it would not catch a cold tomorrow. My educated guesses, no matter how cautious they were, many times turned out to be wrong. But this did not upset me anymore. After all, I thought, who I who was I to say what a stock should or should not do? Even my mistakes did not make me unhappy. I was right so much the better if I was wrong. I was sold out. This happened automatically as something apart from me. I was no longer proud if the stock went up or did I feel bounded if it fell. I knew now that the word value cannot be used in relation to stocks. The value of a stock is its quoted price. This in turn is entirely dependent on supply and demand. I finally learned that there is no such thing 
as a $50 stock. If a $50 stock went to $49, it was now a $49 stock. Being thousand of miles away from Wall Street, I succeeded in de-associated myself emotionally from every stock I held. I also decided not to be influenced by the tax problem. Many people hold on to stocks for six months to obtain long-term capital gain. This I considered dangerous. I might lose money by holding on to falling stock just for tax reason. I decided I would trade in the market by doing the right thing first. Follow what are stocks behavior, commands and care about tax later. As if stocks were made to confirm my new attitude, I handed them successfully for quite a while. I bowed with bold confidence when I thought I was right. And I coldly, without hurt ego, I took my limited losses when I thought I was proving wrong. One of my most successful operations was in Copper Semer. I bought three times into this stock, each time 200 share. Two operations ended with a loss, but the third made me a sizable profit. A few other stocks like Dresser Industries and Reynold Metals behaved equally well and gave me satisfactory profit. But then in the summer of 1957, when I was in Singapore, a most staggering series of events developed. I brought Maltimore or Ohio Railroad at 56. I thought it was in the 56 oblique 61 box and it would advance but I, it started reaching down and I sold it at 55. Then I tried Dobekums. I judge it was in a 44 oblique 49 box so I brought it at 40, bought it at 45. It began to sag and I sold it at 41. I bought Daystrom at 44 because I thought I was it was rising into the 45 oblique 50 box. I sold out at 42. I brought Foster Wheeler at 61. I thought it was in the 60 oblique 80 box which it turned slowly against me. I sold out just below 60 frame at 59. Aeroquip was the last one. I had bought brought it at price ranging from 23 to 27. I watched it climb towards 30 and wait for the 31 oblique 35 box to evolve. It did not happen that way. I was topped out as Aeroquip at 27. Finally, on August 26, 1957, I found myself without a single stock. My automatic stop loss had sold me out of everything. In two months, every one of my stock had slowly turned around and one by one has surged through the bottom of their boxes. And one by one, even if it has only a portion of half the point, there were sold. I did not like it. But there was nothing I could do. According to my theory, I had, I just had to sit back and wait patiently until more, one or more of the stocks I had been stopped out of or any other stock I was watching went toward a higher box. Eager and anxious, I watched from the sidelines with not a dollar invested 
while private continued to drop but no opportunity seemed to appear what i did not know was that i were and at the end of one phase of the great bull market it was several months before this became evident and it was declared a bear market half the wall street analysts still discussed it they say it was merely an intermediate reaction a temporary halt in the rising market they all agree however the that price collapsed of course all these opinions are expressed by hindsight when it is too late the advice to get out of the market was not available when one needed it i recall the case of hitler when he decided to invade sterling grade to him it was just another russia town to be conquered and occupied nobody knew while the battle of stalingrad was being fought that was the turning point in the war for a long time few people realized it even when the german armies were halfway back it was still talked about as strategic withdrawal as it in fact the end of hitler the nazi war bull market ended the hitler the hitler attacked sarigrad in the same way i realized that it was impossible for me to assess great historical turning point in the market when they began to happen what fascinated me as wall street prices continued to fall was the gradual realization that my system of ducking out quickly with my stop losses made such an assessment unnecessary i made the joyful discovery that my method had worked much better than i had dreamed it had automatically released me well before the bad time came the market had changed the most important aspect to me was that i had absolutely no hint whatsoever that the market would slide how could i have had any information i was too far away all the time i had listened to no prediction studied no fundamental and heard no rumors i had simply gotten out on the basis of the behavior of my stocks later when i studied the stock i had sold automatically i found that they subsequently slide down very low ended in the recession period when i looked at this table i thought this if my stop losses had not taken me out of the market i could have losses about 50% of my investment i would have been like a man in a cage locked in with my holdings and missing my opportunity to make a fortune the only way i could have escaped would have been by smashing out taking a 50% loss possibly ruining myself and craving impairing my confidence for future deals i could of course have bought these stocks and put them away this is a classic solution among people who call themselves conservative investors but by now i regarded them as pure gamblers how can they be non gambler when they stay with a stock even if it continue to drop a non gambler must get out when his stock falls they stay in with the gamblers eternal hope of the turn of a lucky card i thought of the people who pay 250 for new york central in 1929 if they were still holding it today it was worth about 27 yet they would be indignant if you call them gambler 
it was in this mood of non gambling that i received my monthly statement of the first week of september 1957 and i began to check up on my account i found i had made up the money i had lost on jones laughlin and my original capital of 30000 was almost intact many of my operations had been moderately successful but commissions and taxes had taken a great deal when i went in, into the accounts more closely i found i had a unenviable distinctions of coming out of the greatest bull market in history with a lot of experience a great amount of knowledge much more confidence and a net loss of 8, 889